So off I trotted to Hackney. I met Mark Bolan and his mum, who made me a nice cup of tea and some biscuits, and uh, off we went. The interview ran over. I got up to leave, and he said, oh, no, no, I'm going to walk you to the bus stop. And there he was with, like, stars on his cheeks and, you know, all that long, curly hair and a cloak, a silver cloak, uh, walking me to Hackney, you know? <laughs> yeah. And welcome to Two Women Chatting. I'm Michelle. And I'm Liz. We're going to look at our childhoods a bit today, aren't we, Liz? We're going to reminisce a bit. Yeah, a bit of nostalgia. Go down memory lane. Um, we've come across this book by the magazine girls. And I'll tell you how it happened. My mum was at a fete in Yule in England. And um, she got chatting to this lovely woman called Jan Collier, who does talking books for the blind. My mum has got um, only about 10, 15% sight. They got chatting. and. Um, Guess she's proud of the podcast because she mentioned it. Of course she is. And Jan mentioned that she just brought out this book. So looked into it a bit more. So it kind of triggered lots of memories, didn't it? I mean, how old were you in the 70s? Well, that was my school years. That was my, my youth. Yeah, I was, I was a bit younger, but I mean, I was still very influenced by what you saw in shops and on TV. And Oh, you didn't get much TV. They got three channels. <laughs> I know. I kind of liked it when it was three channels because I think everybody watched the same things like, what was it? The Anedin line and... Or the Wondin line, as Terry Wogan used to call it. <laughs> but no, that was it because we used to go, you know, we'd go to school... And talk about the programmes we've seen. Mm. You know, I remember Crossroads, good old Crossroads, I the soap opera. And we'd have on a Friday morning my art lesson, we, we just talked about, we didn't do any art, obviously, because I'm not very good at art, but we just talked about what happened in that in that you know that week. Yeah, yeah. So it's a bit like, you know, what's it called now? Yes. Gogglebox. Oh, right. Yeah. So we basically were the gogglebox of the, of the past. In person? Yeah. Mm. Just, you know, but there were so many good TV programmes. I'm sorry, I don't care. They were so good. So much better, I For think. For some they? reason, they were really great quality. Was it just because we didn't have many to watch? Or was it because they were genuinely fabulous quality? Oh, <gasps> Dark. Did you watch Poldark? Dark? The original series you're the talking about. Yeah. 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 Of course, yeah. Poldark. Oh. And then, oh yeah, then I think of some of the really bad ones. That was the 80s, Howard's Way. That wasn't a bad one. I always remember the things that if I was home because I was sick, my mum would always give me Heinz tomato soup and I'd watch Finger Bobs. Yeah, what is it? I was always given. I didn't even like it. I, but I had to. I love chicken, but I didn't Did like the tomato. I, I was really, really naughty. If I really didn't want to go to school, I would get the thermometer, you know, the old style thermometer, mm-hmm. obviously not digital, and I'd put it on the radiator. Oh, yeah. <laughs> or put it in your soup so you're still <laughs> put it in your Did soup. That once, yeah. But yeah, we all watched the same things like Jack and Nori and Magpie, yeah. Blue Peter, of course. But I think you were either BBC or ITV, weren't you? No, you I were was in two BBC. camps. I was yeah. totally BBC yeah. and I didn't really get all those programmes on ITV at all. I was very Blue Peter. But then a little bit older, but it wasn't, you know, a little bit later in the evening, Starsky and Hutch. Oh, Saturday night, 6pm. 6pm, 9pm, wasn't it? No, I was able to watch that at my grand's. And we had no, to it was dial. a generation game. Generation game. That was on at six o'clock after the football whatever focus or whatever it was called oh and calling the pools do you remember that my dad used to be there with the um you know the whole what was it who did the the not the pools the um littlewood um littlewood and he would be there with a pen as they would write as they would read out all the scores from every single football match that day that only stopped i think about 10 years ago didn't it which is amazing so what was your favorite um band in the 70s Oh, well, it has to be the Osmonds. Yeah, I love the Osmonds. I, I, I had 
I was going to say all over my wall. That sounds wrong. I had posters of them all over my wall. But Donnie, oh my God, Donnie, I loved it. That was him. the other thing. Do you think kids still put posters up on the wall in the same way? I don't think no, they do. Mine didn't. Because that's why we got magazines as well. We would, you know, get blue jeans and just seventeen. And blue jeans. I forgot about that yeah. one. Patches. Oh. Do you remember patches? patches? Yeah. But I remember all those wonderful little stories. A couple of girls from my school actually ended up in those, you know, those. I've got a friend who was, yeah, bubble, yeah. I don't know how they ever did that. I wanted to do that. That's so how Hugh bad. Grant started. He used to be in those. No. He did, yeah. Really? Yeah. But now I know quite a few people who went, yeah. They, they were, yeah, I was really jealous. <laughs> I, I wasn't would, chosen. <laughs> I would have Donny Osmond on my all, but I also had Orinoco. From the, the Wombles. <laughs> from oh, I love the Wombles. <laughs> I can still sing. <laughs> Theme tune to the Underground, Wombles. free. Do you remember that? It was absolutely brilliant. And I remember at school, we had to learn it. And I was like, Why I know did it you already have to learn that? in a music lesson. That's oh. what type of school I went to. And I was like, don't worry, I know it already. So I sang it really badly. I remember thinking, Madame Cholet was so glamorous. <laughs> <laughs> but Uncle Bulgaria, Jim, him. Oh, it was lovely. Like he was, yeah. yeah, he was. But it was such a clever idea that yeah. it was. Oh, then of course there was things like um, oh, they're not puffin, puffin stuff. Was it? Do you remember that TV program? Oh uh, well, you... Cat Weasel. Oh no, I wasn't thinking of that. I was thinking of Captain Pugwash. Oh no, we... <laughs> but <laughs> is it true? Stains. Is it true? It's true. Those the names of the characters were deliberately given. I think it was like a kid in Cam- Oxford or Cambridge who came up with the whole um, the, the whole theme of that show, Captain Pugwash. And Master was... Bates. <laughs> I just can't believe. So innocent. Our parents must have been laughing their heads off. What like Panto style? Like they got it. I don't think anybody got it. I don't think anybody got it for years which is why it was so sort of scandalous eventually there was there was was semen stains stains. but there was one (laughs) i mean when you say it now it's so obvious and it's about a deck cat come on that one it was roger the (laughs) 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 but god i suppose our parents didn't listen you wouldn't be listening would you just put us in front of the tv and we watched it oh my god but of course then there's the magic roundabout when they were basically all stoned when they filmed it didn't they whatever they did dylan Um, and chewed the cow, which I looked like recently with my hat. Oh, they were good days, though, weren't they? We should nostalgia more. Is that a verb? To nostalgia. Nostal- but did you not feel that you were outside a lot more? I seem to spend my life outside when I was a kid. Oh, completely. Completely. Uh, we would just knock about with kids in the road. We'd always be in and out of each other's houses. I honestly don't think my mum knew where I was between well, nine and, and six. Well, sundown, of a basically. school holiday. Yeah, sundown. It, it could be 10 o'clock, be, actually. Yeah, you go off and. I don't even remember. I'd go on my bike for miles. Yeah. I hope you're not listening, Mum, because <laughs> she probably thought she knew where I was. But, but it was out of sight, out of mind, wasn't it? But it's because there was no mobile phones. You didn't take any money with you, did you? You had your sandwiches and your, your little... And the, no tracking. Like, how would we get on now? <laughs> track my kids 24-7. Actually, they track me more, I think. Do they? They still do. Anyway, um, we've got some of the magazine girls who wrote this book, and it's all about when they were teenage journalists on the 60s and 70s magazines. Very cool, actually. We're going to talk to Jan Isles and Sandy Robbie and catch up with some of their reminiscences of the times that they worked. (laughs) 
So joining us today are Jan Isles and Sandy Robbie. Thank you and welcome to Two Women Chatting. It's lovely to be here and uh, thanks for having us. <laughs> and what I absolutely love is your honesty and that this is your first podcast. You have interviewed the most famous musicians all over the world and had this incredible career. And yet we're your first podcast. I'm kind of proud, aren't you, Liz? We are. We're virgin all podcasters, to be honest. So, uh Yes, <laughs> but you're never too you're never too old at seventy, are you? So <laughs> oh gosh, no! Wow, so, I would not no. have put you at seventy, Jan. Goodness me! <laughs> Tables are turned now, haven't they? So uh, <laughs> this should be interesting, Sandy, shouldn't it? <laughs> it should indeed. Yes. Your first big interview apparently was Mark Bolan. How incredible was that for it to be thrown in at the deep end? Absolutely thrown in at the deep end. I was about sixteen and a half, going on seventeen. And um, I'd only worked at a, a magazine for about six months and suddenly someone said, OK, um, you know, are, are you free this afternoon? Uh, Mark Boland's on the agenda. You know, go to his mum's flat in Hackney, <laughs> uh, t you know, take notes or take a tape recorder and, uh, you know, get as much information as you can from him. So off I trotted to, to Hackney, the wilds of Hackney. I met Mark Bolan and his mum, who made me a nice cup of tea and some biscuits, and uh, off we went. Yeah, it was great. And he was quite the gentleman, wasn't he? He ended up walking you to your bus stop. Yes, yeah, because the interview ran over, and it was about sort of six thirty, seven o'clock. It was in the winter, and uh, I, I got up to leave, and he said, oh, no, no, don't go by yourself. He said, I'm, I'm going to walk you to the bus stop. And there he was with, like, stars on his cheeks and, you know, all that long curly hair and a cloak, a silver cloak. No. Uh, walking me to Hackney, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's brilliant. That is fantastic. <laughs> what a nice guy. You've, you've interviewed all kinds of people from playing darts with The Who, hanging out with Twiggy. Both of you have interviewed Elton John over the years. Sandy, what? when was your, uh, when did you first interview Elton John? Um, basically, when the, he first made uh, your song. And uh, I was one of the first people to interview him. And he, it was tremendous, actually, because he was obviously very, very talented. Um, along with his uh, lyricist, uh, Bernie Toppin, who he's still with now, and they still write songs together. Um, but, uh, yes, it was out of the blue, and I was apparently the youngest journalist ever to interview Elton John. And um, the uh, I think it was the big uh, record store, HMV, they put out a promotional uh, booklet um, and they I was very chuffed because I mean we were just sort of like babies on Mirabelle magazine and so forth so we're very young and we were competing against all the big journals from NME and Melody Maker so I was very pleased that my my um, interview with Elton Sean appeared on the front front page of this promo uh, for all the record shops and um, indeed I said I I said that he was bordering on great and that he would be a superstar. So I think I think I, I was correct in that bit. What Liz and I were both struck at um, when we were reading your your part of the, the book is how young you were when you moved to London. The trust that your father, your parents had in you to... Well, I'd like to say be responsible. I'm not sure that was the case, but, <laughs> but at least live <laughs> I don't independently. I think I was very responsible. <laughs> 
Um, I was actually living in London. We were living in London, but, but my parents had to go up to Harrogate. And my father realised that I was on the Daily Sketch newspaper, of course, when I was 15. And he said, well, I'm not going to take you with us. You, uh, We'll get you digs, as they called it then. Uh, and um, he went to see them, with, or my mum and dad went to see them, and they said yes. And, of course, there I was, wild and mad in, in London all on my own because my brother uh, was actually, uh, you know, he wasn't in Australia that at that time, but, you know, he was living in, in Fleet or somewhere like that. So uh, I was on my own. Um, but I had plenty of friends and, you know, and nearby family that I could uh, go to if I was in trouble. But uh, I had a whale of a time. <laughs> so, yeah, and you're right though, Liz and Michelle. We were 17 and sort of interviewing rock gods. And the thought of it now, you know, as you look back, you think, golly, you know, you, you just thrown in the deep end and uh, you just got on with it. Now, the obvious thing that comes to me when you say that, obviously very innocent 17-year-old girls, and you were in the... As I know big... about the innocent. <laughs> Let's pretend. Let's pretend. <laughs> But I just wonder about the power dynamic there. Did anybody ever try to take advantage of your sort of your youth and your young situation? Or were you always, I don't know, able to stand up for yourselves and be treated equally? It was a very different time back then, wasn't it? The way that perhaps girls were treated as interviewers and, and coming into that orbit. Can you tell us a bit more about how... How how it affected you and how you had to stand your ground as young youngsters in the business? Well, you just did. I mean, despite, the, you know, our very young age, we we had a sort of innate professionality about it. You know, we just knew how to handle ourselves. You know, you did get into some tricky situations, but, um, you know, it uh, because you didn't feel like a victim per se, you know, that you felt that you could handle it, then you did. You know, I was always brought up, to, you know, by parents to say, you know, you've got a tongue in your head. If you, you're not happy with the situation, you let people know. So, yes, there were sometimes, weren't there, Sandy, you know, that were quite hairy, you know, with the drug scene and everything. And we did, we did experiment a bit. Yeah, the drug scene was the sort of peril, really. We had to be careful. And because we, we all did experiment, let's face it, you know, you're young and you know, you want to find out, you know, what it feels like to get high. But, um, you know, obviously you had to think, you know, don't go too far. There is that that line, that line, you know. To be honest, I didn't, I didn't um, like drugs anyway. I had to sort of, I did try them out, but I didn't, you know, like cannabis or whatever. But I didn't like it because it... I, when I went to parties, you know, whether they were pop star parties or just general parties, I always find found that people, when they had been smoking and all the rest of it, they just sat there like as if they were in a daze. And so there was no conversation and no dancing, which I love. And I, I, I thought, oh, I don't like this. This is like, you know, I want to dance and talk to people. So for me, um, I didn't, I didn't experiment that much, but yeah, a lot of others did and a lot of my friends did. But for me, I preferred um, a glass of wine. <laughs> yeah, yes, that, that was our drug, I suppose, a glass of wine or two. But, you, you know, you see the casualties, you see the, the rock and roll casualties. And, 
you know, if that doesn't put you off, I don't know what would. You see beautiful young girls. I mean, I remember a model that used to come into the office and she was beautiful. She was charming. And um, she got hooked up with the wrong people who promised her, you know, a great career in modelling, but instead they got her hooked on drugs. Before you know it, she was on heroin. And then the next thing you hear, she's had an overdose and died at like 18. So you see those tragedies and, it, it, you know, they're not, they're not pleasant. You know, that's the flip side, the dark side of the swinging 60s, if you like, really. It, it really yeah. was, wasn't it? And I, I think um, certainly you, Jan, you mentioned that you had come across a number of, re- you know, very well-known people who sadly did meet their end rather sooner than they should have. Um, another thing I picked out from you, Jan, was um, talking of drugs. You shared a spliff with Bob Marley. I did, yeah, out of desperation. I was so nervous. <laughs> I, yeah, I got to his apartment in Kensington to do the interview. I mean, I was running late. I got caught in a cab in the traffic. And, of course, you know, my, my, my nerves was getting the better of me. And, oh, my goodness, there he was, laid back, you know, this this icon you know with his dreadlocks and his chiseled beauty he opened his mouth couldn't understand a word he said it was all this sort of i and i patois you know the jamaican you know patois of uh, the religious uh, you know slogans and everything and i thought my goodness you know what am i going to do i just don't know how to approach this i don't know how to respond so he lit a spliff and I just found myself sort of nicking it out of his hand and taking a few very deep inhalations. <laughs> and Jan, oh, what dear. did you do about that article afterwards? Well, I went back to the office, played it back. It was gibberish. And uh, I was about, yeah, I started to cry actually in desperation and, and basically made the whole thing up, you know. <laughs> it sounds unprofessional, but, you know, at the same time, you had to fill a hole in, in the newspaper. You I know, can't imagine to... anyone doing that these days. But the thing Making is, that, yeah, but it wasn't the internet. Nobody could check it in those days, could they either, what, what he said, because was, there was no, no internet to... Yeah. Exactly. And everything was much more chill and laid back, wasn't it, Sandy? You know, it's, you didn't have the thought police looking over your shoulder or anything, you know, so... Well, actually, not. I wanted to come back to that. You mentioned, um, well, with the thought police, you were talking in the book about when you interviewed 12-year-old Michael Jackson and it kind of gave you uh, thoughts in your head that his father was very controlling at the time because he kept on coming back in and out of the interview. Is that right? Wouldn't leave him alone or us alone for five minutes. And there I was, you know, again, very young girl. I mean, what could I do? I mean, I wasn't about to, you know, jump on him, you know, in the interview room or anything. But he was very nervous and cagey. Maybe, you know, perhaps he thought I'd ask Michael inappropriate questions. But it was for a teeny bop, you know, magazine, a Valentine magazine. And it was all very proper. But yes, he he was very paranoid, the father. Very controlling. So, yeah. So maybe yeah, that was quite widely yeah. known actually that he was uh, yes. like that yeah. with with most of the with people the... who interviewed. Yes, yeah. unfortunately, you can't, you can't help but feel really sorry that he didn't really have any kind of childhood. He didn't have any kind of childhood, and that could have been like a repercussion of what went on in his adult life. You know, to be nice about it, could his you know bad childhood of provoked how he became as a as an adult vis-a-vis you know young boys or whatever the rumors are 
about his 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 private life at that time. But um, one can only surmise. You know, it's it's a difficult situation, isn't it? Yeah. Now they are the big rivals to um, to the Jacksons were, of course, the Osmonds, weren't they? Oh. Yes. The uh, the pristine. The pristine Osmonds, yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> Did you enjoy when you got to meet them? Absolutely, a different kettle of fish because they were so clean and and white and and quite religious. You know, they talked about their Mormonism and all sorts of things. But yes, I mean, they were the real heartthrobs. You know, especially Donny and his sister Marie, she was a real sweetie. I mean, I'm hitting a note here. Were you oh. Osman fans? Oh, that's an understatement. I had him oh. all over my wall, so to speak. Really? Oh, yeah. yeah. My sister loved Jay, but I was a Donny fan. Oh, my God. You know, people say David Cassidy. Sorry. No, nothing on nothing on Donny. And he's still touring. That's the best thing. And, yeah. and he's very handsome, isn't he? And the teeth. The teeth are amazing. Oh. And oh. Uh, yes, I can't believe teeth. I'm speaking yeah. to someone who's actually met him. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, not only met him but actually poured her bloody mary over his white suit is that right so, uh, yeah poured his blood yeah exactly poured my bloody mary as you see i'm a bit of a nervous nelly and uh, sometimes it uh, it didn't uh, pan out very well but they were very charming about it donnie was absolutely a gentleman and uh, you know i felt mortified and he just tried to brush it off so oh, just i love him even more <laughs> Yeah, I think he was, he was he was he was very um very gallant about it, I must say. <laughs> so let me ask you, I mean you've you've both interviewed so many interesting people. Is there a standout interview or uh, scenario or an episode that happened that you always look back on either with fondness or shock? Sandy, how about you? I must admit it's difficult to answer that one because uh, all of them, in their own ways, were were good and different, and um, they all because we were of the same age. It was it, it, we were more friends talking to each other. Uh, they weren't on a scale above us. They they were at the same level. So I, I never really found anybody particularly difficult. Or I think the Elton John interview stood out because um, he didn't, Elton John probably wouldn't mind me saying this, but he certainly didn't look like a pop star. Um, And so therefore, no one really knew that he was going to be a superstar. But it was just that that first interview when we met and he was um, very relaxed very sure of himself with it when i say that with this music he knew he produced good music and um so that that was one of the standout ones um we had uh who else was there, there was oh god led zeppelin they were quite wild um they were interesting of course you couldn't forget them because they joked around um, especially as they probably thought, why am I being interviewed by somebody on Mirabelle magazine when they wanted to be interviewed by Rolling Stone or someone like that? But they were all very courteous and never really had somebody where I thought, oh, they're really rude and horrible. Uh, but I suppose they were on their be- best behaviour because when we when we um, organised interviews, we had to go through their management companies. And so therefore, you know, especially with like, Elton John, it was Dick James' music at the time uh, who organised all his 
PR for him and and meeting the press, etc. So they were they were of course under an obligation. You better be good to them, otherwise they might give you a bad write up. Although I don't think we would, but would have done. But um, then of course that would rebound on them, and uh, and it wouldn't have been good for them. So we had we had the best of times, didn't we, Jan? Uh, we did. It, we did really have the best of times. There. And, and it was a wonderful time to be in it as well because of the music, the the fashion, um, the clothes, everything. Yes. It was just, and it was all vibrant and it was new and not, shall we say, hackneyed. It, it wasn't a replay of something else. It was completely new. I mean, some of my uh, great nephews, they, they love all the vinyl and the who and the, Beatles and things like that. So, so that's all coming back into play. Even Mary Quant, um, unfortunately, who died recently, um, the her stuff because it's there will be a, a regurgitation of the, of of those clothes, uh, and I think that there was a certain amount of innocence, wasn't there as well, Jan? Absolutely, a naivety. Naivety, because although we wore very short skirts, um, the what it didn't look. It looked very nice. It didn't look particularly tarty, did it, or anything like that. It didn't look like it. I don't know how to explain it. It was just the way it was. It was all fresh and and, and, innocent, and when I say innocent, innocent of course it wasn't that innocent. Really, because I mean, a, a lot of people were on drugs as well. So, but but I th- I think overall it was just a good time, and the best of it all is that we seven. And for actual fact, I would like to say that there is eight girls magazine girls, but um, who did, one of them didn't actually uh, did, do a piece, but she still we still call her the magazine girls, and the the greatest thing. There, there are eight of us, and we all have kept together for all those years, haven't we? We've never really lost. Yeah, 50 years, 50 years, yeah. I mean, it's half a century, isn't it? It's amazing. <laughs> when you say it like that, it's unbelievable, really. That's so nice. What do you think it is about the eight of you then that has kept you together? Is it because you were growing up together in such an exciting time? But I mean, you've you've moved to different parts of the UK and across the world and you've gone through, you know, some sad times and and some different times. I know that um, a couple of you have lost your partners um, over the last few years. So that's obviously really tough to go through. But I'm, I'm just so in awe of the fact that eight of you within a very competitive environment found something about each other that you're loyal and your friendship outweighs everything i think when you when you meet people when you're very young you kind of go on a um, a journey with them you know an adventure in our case and um i think that cements your relationship you know we've we've been on lots of different journeys highs and lows together as you say we've some of us have lost partners we've gone through divorce illness you know tragedies but lovely things too like having babies children grand grandchildren so you know it's like almost like a life partnership isn't it you know it's 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 really solid we weren't ever competitive with one another to be fair because if you take were we we because I mean, when when we we um, 
started on Mirabel. You don't mind me saying so, Jan. You were the office junior, as they called it then. She was only two years, two years younger than me, or whatever. But she, so, and Linda was two or three years older than me. So she was like a big sister to me, and we were never, we were, we never felt in competition with one another. So maybe that's why, also, it worked because if if one of them, one of us had been the boss to another one, I'm not sure. Yeah, I think. I think we nurtured each other. Yeah, I think we nurtured each other. And we're very happy for each other's successes. You know, as, as you say, there really wasn't any competition. And honestly, we wrote the book, as we say, 50 years on. Um, and it came about, we were at Joe Allen's, our favourite restaurant, having lunch. And one of us, I forget who, said, uh, you know, we should write a book. So, so we did, actually. And funny enough, it, you know, the idea percolated for a little while, and then we got down to finally writing it, and the uh, COVID pandemic hit. So we did it all through lockdown, more or less. That must have been really cathartic for all of you. And then to read each other's, that must have been wonderful. And it was all done on Zoom, and you know we had all these uh, sort of very creative and sometimes very hot-tempered Zooms, <laughs> you know, flying back and forth. Because what none of us could get together. You know, we're all in the same boat, we're all in lockdown and we all wrote it, you know, in our little pods at home sort of thing. Yeah. So it's quite quite extraordinary, really. Yeah. It's very, very interesting. You know, it, it filled in the time of being locked down, really, didn't it, Sandy? A lot of people did that, didn't they? It was a real therapy. And and to go through the history and the memoirs of, of you know, your career, it must have been... A, and to share them now with your family, I mean, I'm, yeah, you must have given nuggets of what you've done, but now they can sit down and read them and think, oh, Granny did that? <laughs> Exactly. I mean, our kids, as Sandy mentioned, you know, our kids love all the, the music we grew up with, like the Beatles and the Who and, and all that. And, and my son plays in a band and, you know, he said, oh, mum, I, I can't, he hasn't read the memoir yet. And he said, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going to take it on holiday with me and I'm going to read it, you know, on a beach somewhere. And he said, and um, find out all your secrets, basically. <laughs> That's the only problem, isn't it? That's the only problem, isn't it? Exactly. It is surprising just how many of them, how many of those names, like Elton John's just done his farewell tour. We've still got Bruce Springsteen. Um, so many of those names that were back there. I didn't even get on to asking you about ABBA either. I really wanted to ask you about being the correspondent for ABBA. Loved ABBA, loved their music, just loved everything about them. And the girls, they were so glamorous and sexy and, and the voices were, were angelic. But it's funny because I I got the gig by default. I love their music, but nobody on Record Mirror at the time really went for them. You know, they weren't really known as cool, you know, in, in like journalistic or musical circles. They were slightly uncool, which in a way is baffling when you look at it now because uh, they've obviously lasted the test of time and are bigger than ever. But, you know, I get like my, my, my kids' friends, you know, who love all those old music uh, you know, concerts, you know, they list, they look at them on podcasts and so on and all sorts of places. And, and one of them loves John Peel, you know, the old DJ who, who was such, you know, an iconic figure, you know, um, in music, you know, with his BBC shows, he founded so many, you know, people, interesting artists and, and rock groups. 
and uh, Mitz, he's a Japanese guy, and he practically kissed my feet when he knew I'd interviewed John, John Peel and worked alongside him because he used to come up regularly and do a column for Sounds magazine. And we always used to go over the pub together, you know, and have, have drinks and so on. And uh, unfortunately, you know, people like John, um, again, it was a different world. And John's reputation has been a bit tarnished, you know, with these accusations and whatnot. Um, but, you know, I, I knew him and he was a, a delightful person. He was a great guy. But, you know, it is what it is, isn't it? There's a lot of different opinions about things now. Talking about reputation, certainly you came into contact with Jimmy Savile, Rolf Harris, Gary Glitter. You interviewed all of them, didn't you? All those pervs, yeah, to be honest, yeah. And with someone like Jimmy, couldn't you? Uh, well, we Sandy, all you did, actually, to be fair. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we all, we all came into contact with, with Jimmy Savile because he was, such a, he was such a legendary figure in pop. He was everywhere, you know, on top of the pops. And... Uh, Everyone encountered him, and really, you—I think people knew what he was like. He—he he did like young people. He—he he, he acted improper around young people. But you mentioned uh, Michelle that it was a different world then, and it was people, for good or bad, accepted those ways. It's only when you look back, you know, retrospectively, you see, don't you, Sandy, that. Well, oh, you know, some dodgy things went on. But, you know, when you're in living in those times, it was a different feeling, you know. I think that's, you mentioned it earlier, that we uh, had to be perhaps a little bit resilient at times. And, and we did, especially with uh, some people, particularly ones that, who had a reputation uh naturally so so we did we were able to look after ourselves yeah you had to be fairly strong but you know i don't want to you know put a, a dampener on it. it they were really fun times you know it was socially really you know vital it was re- wasn't there was a lot of vitality and and fun around people kind of saw the funny side in things a lot more then i think it was you know coming coming out of the world war Two situation because when I was born we were still having rations you know in the, the early 50s and by the time you got into the 60s people went you know hang on a minute you know we've been through some really dark times here we want to really enjoy ourselves we all live in different times to each other yeah you enter this world of flower power and freedom and headiness and drugs and sort of a freedom of sexuality as well it's very exciting times to be part of and just to change the way that you dressed I like I know that you were kind of full-on Bieber girls as well weren't you just love the whole fashion yeah Mary Quant Bieber my best friend worked in Bieber and she used to squirrel away all the sort of new things new uh, boots and t-shirts and dresses hide them under the counter so I could come in and get them at cost you know it was lovely and and um, we we kind of used each other didn't we if we needed something like a before and after or a so we say oh can you tell us you know give the information get your mum to do that get somebody else so if we were doing a, a box box thing then we would get people to get their their families in yeah mum and dad my mum and dad used to be in it regularly with their photograph but we never said it was them, our mum and dad or brothers or friends and 
I can only imagine how much fun the eight of you must have at long lunches or over Zooms. <laughs> the tales that you can tell. And I really I hope our listeners will go and buy the magazine girls book because it's full of wonderful anecdotes like you've been sharing with us today. And you can buy it anywhere on Amazon.com.co.uk um, and follow you on Instagram as well. It's been really lovely to talk to you. And it's it's just so gorgeous to know how friendly you've all stayed. Um, it's a different era. Really interesting to hear about it and I love the book. So thank you so much. And um, once again, thanks for having us. We've enjoyed yes, it. Thank it's you lo- very much. It's been lovely. Wow. Heady days that they had. Yeah, it sounded like they had a really good time. And I know you really wanted to talk about Paul Newman. Well, I couldn't believe it when I read that, that they met Do- well, Johnny Osmond. And Paul Newman, my, and Abba. I mean, my God, I'm, I just, I would just wet myself. <laughs> There's a vision, but we would have been talking to them for hours if we'd, if we'd gone about. Oh gosh, Mark Bowden, Paulie Yates, Bob Geldof. Oh God, who else? Susie Quattro. I love Susie. David Essex. We didn't even mention <gasps> David Essex. Oh, God, that's another one. I just cannot believe they met all these people, and oh, they were so young. And then they all went on to do such really cool jobs, like Linda Newman. She was at 19 and then she ended up um, working full-time on Hello as assistant editor. Jan Collier, she, apart from doing talking newspapers in Yule, uh, she freelanced and worked on Good Housekeeping and the Sunday Times and the Daily Mail. Shirley, uh, Shirley Dunmore, she still works in PR and unfortunately her husband died of COVID in 2021. Um, Jan Isles, she's living in Montreal now and she's still working in TV. Anne Carpenter, she went freelance, she wrote an incredible book about grief, and now she's a professional painter. Cool, huh? Penny Saunders, she's a consultant for premium brands in beauty industry, um, like YSL and Clarins. And then there's Sandy Robbie, who was in fashion PR with Lynn Franks, living the whole ab fab life at the height of it. Didn't even get onto that. So I think... Listeners, we have left you with lots of things that you might want to read more about in the magazine, Girls, which is available at bookstores and online. So go read it. It's really good. It certainly is. And that's all from us. We'll chat with you soon. Bye. Thanks for listening to Two Women Chatting with our special guests. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean the world to us if you left a rating and review. Even better, share with your friends. And please get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. There's a link on our Instagram bio and Facebook pages.